This is Ernest Hancock, host of Declare Your Independence, and you're listening to LibertyTalk.fm. everybody this is the sporting edge i'm sitting here with roz and roz game three did not go as planned for me i did not jump on the right ship like you did with the golden state warriors but you know what the Cavs did almost everything that they needed to do to win this game except close it out they let the warriors go on a 10-0 run down the stretch it looked like we were going to get a 2-1 series score game four in cleveland and it didn't happen Kevin Durant hit probably the biggest shot of his professional life, hitting that three-pointer over LeBron James, and you know they ended up winning 118 to 113, and this pretty much ended the series for the Cavaliers. It ends the series, but I need everyone to take three steps back in terms of criticizing LeBron James. And there's two points to be made that I've read online so far today, and that is one the pass to Kyle Korver at the end of the game. And I understand this goes in a long line of questioning his clutch gene, his clutch skill, and what he can do at the end of an NBA Finals. He doesn't regret it. I don't regret it. Kyle Korver was signed to this team for a reason. He can shoot the shot, hit his threes, and unfortunately it didn't go in, and he's been struggling this NBA Finals. And we've seen Curry struggle for the Warriors in years past. People struggle. So Kyle Korver was an X-Factor I selected early on in this process, saying that he's really going to need to come out and hit some shots. And he did hit some shots in Game 3. So not a bad look for LeBron James there. And then the second point I want to bring up, because we are going to be talking a lot about LeBron James and Kevin Durant, is I want to say that Steve Kerr is a stand-up and class-act man. Steve Kerr came out today and said what really led to the ending of this game was the fatigue. And if you look at it respectively, LeBron and Kyrie Irving played 45 minutes and 44 minutes apiece. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous to ask when you play at the pace of the Golden State Warriors who can run up and down the court all game long. And their subs, their people coming off the bench, all the same style of play. It's a lot to ask for, and it's something that the Cavs are going to have to restructure and refigure out going into next season and what will inevitably be the NBA Finals again next year since I don't believe there will be much of a change in teams or during the free agency process or during some trades. So fatigue is absolutely huge here. I don't really want to listen to the naysayers ripping LeBron apart. He is still 
in my opinion, the best player in the world, best player in the game, and still could be in the conversation and was one of the greatest of all times, regardless of what's going to happen here. So Steve Kerr, very class act response and really pointing to what caused all this. Yeah, well, I mean, Steve Kerr, that's, he's a class act, and I'm, I don't disagree with what he said, but that's what needs to be done. I mean, LeBron James, being the best player in the world, needs to play about 45 minutes a game for this team to have a chance, especially against one of the best teams ever assembled. So, you know, the fact that LeBron James scores 39 points, he played a pretty good game, but that's what he needs to do for this team. I mean, he is by far and away the best player on the Cavaliers, and Kyrie Irving, Played an unbelievable game as well. I'm glad that he finally showed up. Um, scored 38 points. Did about as much as he could. But I look at the best player in the game argument and more of the all-time argument. And I look at it and I say, the best player of all time does not let the other team go on a 10-0 run to end the game in the biggest game of the series that you needed to win. And I'm not, obviously, LeBron's not playing one-on-five against the Warriors, but That game needed to be closed out. They let them go on a 10-0 run, and my biggest image from that game is KD pulling up for that wide-open three over LeBron James. When the clock is ticking down, I know that LeBron is tired. I, I know that he played 45 minutes, but the fact that he essentially lets the best shooter in the game pull up for a wide-open three at the most critical spot... just It was kind of a lack of focus for me. And, you know, you know, the Kyle Korver pass... I wasn't a fan of it. I would have liked to see LeBron take the ball to the rack and either finish or get fouled. Um, the contested three by Corver, I know why they signed him to hit threes, but at that spot in the game, I would love to see LeBron take it to the rack, do what he's always done. But, you know, when I look at this this game overall, the Cavaliers just didn't close when they needed to. At the most important spots, they did not get it done, and they were up the entire game. And the Warriors didn't really do anything special in particular. I couldn't even come up with one highlight after it was over besides in the final minute. And the Cavs played, I think, you know, what was pretty close to their best game. LeBron played awesome. Kyrie played awesome. Kevin Love was pretty good. But again, a key X factor in the series that still has not shown up is Tristan Thompson, who again pours in zero Zero points, points, three rebounds, and I think it was about 23 minutes. Unacceptable. For a team that needed, like we said at the start, to bang inside a little bit, um, Tristan Thompson just doesn't show up. I mean, J.R. Smith went 5 for 10, scored 16 points. He played pretty good. He did what he needed to do as a role player, as a guy who can hit a three-point shot in this series um, in Game 3. But Tristan Thompson, again, was, you know, he might as well not been on the court because he didn't do anything. And I, I want to go real back or back real quickly to Kevin Love. So Kevin Love did not have a good game by any measures. And Steph Curry, who didn't shoot his best, still went 8 of 19 for 26 points, which is still going to be enough in this type of game. Kevin Love was 1 of 9 shooting, 1 of 7 from behind the three-point line, and he had only 9 points in this game. And that's not going to be enough. And LeBron James, we've been saying it, all the teams he's brought from 2007 to this point on, LeBron has never really had... A per- or person, maybe Dwayne Wade, maybe Kyrie Irving, but only those figures going up against some of the best teams in the world. Michael Jordan went up against Hall of Famers and everything, but the teams that LeBron has played against are unmatched. And this Warriors team, you'll never see a team this good, ever. And I think they are going to be in the discussion for the greatest team of all time. I'm tired of hearing that these 0-1 Lakers would give them a run. I'm tired of hearing the 96 Bulls would give this team a run. 
There is no one who can keep up with this Warriors team. I don't know. This was a bad game I for the Warriors. I don't know if, you can, if you can talk about past teams not being able to keep up with them. I mean, it's hard to compare them against a team from 15 and 20 years ago. But, I mean, they are they are amazing. I it's put definitely put them in the top three, but I don't know if they're the best of all time. All right. They're let's, good. Let's take it in this consideration, Xander. If you're playing a game, who do you want on the other side of the court you're going against? You want John Stockton or you want Steph Curry? Uh, Who would you be more afraid to face? Probably Steph Curry. Because of his shooting ability, right? Yeah. Carl Malone or Kevin Durant? Probably Kevin Durant. Right? So you're looking at... so that, That's not offense. the argument, though. Like, the argument is... That's the t- not the even close to the and That team's not even done. you still got Klay Thompson who put up 30-plus points in this last game. you got a team that is so full of superstars that LeBron James is basically going one-on-four, maybe two-on-four, because Kyrie had his first good game of the series. And it's not enough for LeBron to have Richard Jefferson come off the bench when they could have Andre Iguodala, who was a former All-Star, come off the bench and still perform the way he did. J.R. Smith I will give a little bump up to, and we said... He would be an X factor and everything. But I think this series is ridiculous. I think any claims that LeBron isn't going to be in the consideration for GOAT is ridiculous. As you can tell, I'm a little fired up, a little rattled. You can and see I, the smoke coming out of my ears. Yeah, and I you know, I disagree. I just don't think the best player of all time lets the other team, no matter who they are, go on a 10-0 run at the most crucial point in the game when you need to win. I mean, that just that doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. And if he's going to be the GOAT, they need to win that game. I don't care what happened down the stretch, but they didn't close. That's the one thing. He, he played an unbelievable game, but when it mattered the most in the fourth quarter, and in the fourth quarter of the whole series, he's been shooting under 35%. So if you want to look at clutch stats and why he might not be the greatest player of all time, that's what I'm looking at. All right. Well, that's all we have for the NBA Finals so far. Obviously, we'll wrap it up and everything, but that's also all the time we have this segment. Everybody, we're excited to bring you Anthony Grant when we get back after the break. So stay tuned, everybody. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back, and we are super excited to bring you the Anthony Grant interview here in a second. But we want to warm it up by talking a little bit of pre-college basketball season, the way, way early look into it. And Xander, some big news out of Ohio State. I know your sister goes there, so changing of the guards there. Thad Mata asked to leave, and I'm using air quotes. You can't see me because we're on the radio. I think it's more of a firing. The team really hasn't been very successful, and the recruiting classes haven't been stellar. So he's being replaced by Chris Holtman, who leaves Butler. I think that's a really interesting thing. Butler has been fantastic under Holtman as well as under Stevenson, who left for the Celtics. So we'll see how that program's able to handle it. They're in the Big East now, so it's definitely more challenging. But I'm very excited to see. And Ohio State, it's going to be a couple of years. It's trying to figure out your role. And they're in a Big Ten that's really competitive. And really interesting enough, we look at the early AP Northwestern, 24 in the early eight peoples. Yeah, I mean, they had a huge year last year, uh, making it to their first NCAA tournament ever and winning a game. But talk about Thad Mata, you know, I do agree with you, Roz. I think he was definitely forced out a little bit and dealt with a lot of health problems the past four or five years. Talk about his back, the foot, and whatnot. I think if he gets healthy, he could definitely end up at another top 25 program. I mean, he did some good things with Ohio State. They've just kind of been very, very average the past few years. And, you know, when you're at a big-time program, that just doesn't cut it. And no matter whether you deserve to get fired or not, you know, teams need to shake up. 
So I think Thad Mata could be a name down the road, maybe 2019, 2020, that you could see at another big-time program again. And absolutely should, because he did have successful teams at Ohio State with the Greg Odom, with the Evan Turner team. So he knows what it's like to win. Again, like Xander said, watch out for him down the road. Tom Crean, who was another person to watch down the road, might be actually one of the top candidates for this Butler job. So that should also be interesting when it comes into full swing. But we want to give you the AP number one and really my scariest team coming into next season. The Arizona Wildcats are coming back strong. They've returned a lot of players. Obviously, Lowry Macon will be going in. Markin, I apologize, will be going into the NBA draft. Alkins came, comes back after not deciding to forego the draft another season. I'm excited for this Arizona team. Once again, I just like the Pac-12. I think it's a fun conference, and I hope that it becomes more diverse in their players. I know UCLA has a great recruiting class coming in. I know it's going to be young, so I'm expecting it to take a year before they're back up in the top ranks like they were with Lonzo Ball. But this Arizona team is ahead of Michigan State, who's two, and Duke at three. I think that's an interesting top three and three organ- or three colleges you like to see in that spot. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State, I think Miles Bridges He's the biggest returner on this squad. I mean, a guy who could have for sure been a lottery pick this year. Um, I think he might be, you know, a top, if not the top, one of the top five players in college basketball next year. And you never count out uh, Tom Izzo. I mean, he's one of the premier coaches, I think, in the history of the game. And this Michigan State team is going to be really interesting because they definitely underwhelmed last year going 20-15. and 15, But the return of Mile Bridges very surprising, is going to be an X-factor in their season. Absolutely, and that's a team that, again, was also ranked highly in the preseason AP poll as well, but due to injuries and the young players not turning out to be what they were expecting, I think that this is going to be their year. I think Tom Izzo has it set up, and they're going to start off with that tough schedule like they did last year, but I think they're ready to compete. They take on Duke in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, which was announced recently, so that's going to be a marquee game. Yeah, and they've got two great incoming big men in Jaron Jackson, who's 6'11", and Xavier Tillman, who is 6'9". So I think those guys, combination with Miles Bridges, they've also got Nick Ward and Cassius Winston coming back. This, this Michigan State team, I do not think, will underperform this year. Not even in the slightest. So we're very excited to see how that all folds out. But I'm very excited to see how the Dayton Flyer season is going to go. I'm really hoping for good things. We have an incoming freshman redshirt, though. He was on campus last year. We've got Kostas Andetokounmpo. That last name might sound a little bit familiar to you, as the Greek freak is his older brother, as he is dominating with the Milwaukee Bucks. So it's going to be awesome to have Andetokounmpo on the court, as well as we're returning Josh Cunningham, Daryl Davis, John Crosby, and Zarius Williams, all who were integral parts of this team last year. Josh Cunningham, was a fantastic post player to have and unfortunately had an injury earlier in the season so he missed a lot of time but he was back so we got glimpses of him during the NCAA tournament this team I'm being I'm feeling confident about again I think they're going to make it five straight years for this Flyers organization into the NCAA tournament and it all starts with coach Grant who is just a spectacular guy you're going to hear it throughout the interview he really has that passion and knows what it takes to win. He's been on a part of a lot of winning organizations and taking over at a great time in Dayton's history after their four-year run they had with the seniors who just left, which is Scoochie, Kyle Davis, uh, Kendall Pollard, and Charles Cook. I think it's only fitting that we get somebody of his caliber to come now coach the University of Dayton Flyers. So we're very excited. So without further ado, let us bring you to the Anthony Grant interview. It is spectacular, and I hope you guys enjoy. And be sure to follow all the social media. That way you can have the highlights from all the Coach Grant interview. And you can check out University of Dayton Flyer information. (laughs) 
What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back and honored to be joined by University of Dayton's men's basketball coach, Anthony Grant. Coach Grant is in the dictionary defining the word winner. Since his time as an assistant coach with the national title-winning Florida Gators, he has taken the NCAA by storm. Coach Grant became the head coach at VCU, leading them to two NCAA tournament appearances, upending Duke in the 2007 NCAA tournament. He is also coach at Alabama and is now the new head coach of my alma mater and his, the Dayton Flyers. Welcome, Coach Grant. How are you doing today? Doing great, doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. So how many people do you think are going to check the dictionary after that small intro? <laughs> no, you guys are too kind. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh been fortunate to be around a lot of good people, so uh you know, riding the coattails, but it's been a been a great run and Excited to be back at the alma mater. That's awesome. So, as I mentioned before, you were with VCU when they were still in the CAA, and you really brought them to the forefront of the NCAA pretty much before Shaka Smart had to take all the credit. Now entering your third conference while being a coach in the NCAA, what are some of the early goals you have set for yourself and your new team? Do you look for that fast start similar to the one you had at VCU? Well, certainly. You know, I think this program, uh, give a lot of credit to Coach Miller and his staff, uh, a lot of winning has taken place here at Dayton and uh, you know, the last two uh, A-10 regular season titles are, are right here in, at the University of Dayton. So I think I'm inheriting a program that's accustomed to winning. I think our, our players here uh, that are returning expect to, to go in and compete for championships. So that's the goal. It's always the goal any time you, you set those preseason aspirations. So our journey now is to make sure we're putting the work in, to continue to improve, to continue to add to our program in terms of uh, our coaching staff and and the, the talent in the program. So I think we've uh, made some good strides in the last couple of months since we've been here, and uh, just got to continue to to take steps along that process. Yeah, and coach. Uh, so talking about championships, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to be a part of the Florida Gators national title team back in 2006? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, I, I spent 10 years in, in Gainesville and. Uh, you know, just the, the culmination of, of that journey uh, that led to a championship. You know, I think of all the guys that came before that group that actually wanted, that, that laid the foundation to make that possible. And then that group that we had was special, you know, with uh, Horford and, and Noah and Brewer and uh, Lee Humphrey and Torian Green and, and, you know, all those guys, Chris Richard, Adrian Moss, that, that was a special group uh, that helped us accomplish some great things. And then, you know, just to, to take that journey, you know, I was with Coach Donovan for 12 years and Donnie Jones and uh, Larry Scheid, our staff, uh, you know, Matt McCall, who's, who's now at UMass, uh, just some special memories and special people. And that's the thing you remember about, you know, teams like that that do special things. You remember the people and, you know, it's lifetime relationships and bonds that you have. You know, uh, the memories, they, uh, you know, they're always fresh anytime you see each other. Uh, you can always, you know, you have that, that common bond. So that's, uh, that's a great feeling, a great experience. Yeah, so do you, uh, do you have any uh, good, good stories or good lessons you learned uh, from Coach Donovan in particular uh, during your time with Florida? Uh, stories? Uh, man, we don't have enough time. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Coach Donovan is a dear friend. Uh, you know, our, our relationship, you know, will always go beyond, you know, just on the court. Uh, uh, you know, we've seen each other's, children grow and and uh and uh you know accomplish things and our families are, are very tight so uh he's a dear friend and, and certainly uh you know you try to take away uh from uh who he is as a coach as well just uh his uh, his work ethic uh, uh his attention to detail uh, his passion for the game so i think certainly a lot of things that that you do on a daily basis 
are inspired by the people that you're around. I completely agree with you, Coach Grant. And you know what? I'm inspired every day when I get to sit across in the studio from my boy, Xander, and we try to make magic here on the Sporting Edge. But that's all the time we have this segment, everybody. We'll be back with part two of the Coach Grant interview right after the break. So stay tuned and go Flyers, everyone. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger, who writes the hot topics in the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to thebubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubba at thebubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bubba at thebubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back and we're better than ever. We're about to bring you the second part of the Coach Grant interview. We're going to follow up on his talks with Billy Donovan and how it was to be a Florida Gator in the national title time and then his move and transition to the NBA when he joined the Oklahoma City Thunder. Great responses. Again, very genuine interview we got through the entire process. I mean, Xander couldn't have run any smoother, couldn't have? Yeah, um, awesome guy, awesome interview. Just so in touch with everyone that's kind of helped him through um, his career in all facets of the game. And you can just tell that, you know, the experiences he's had, and he's willing to share those with anybody, and also the ability to teach um, and be a coach is something that not a lot of people can do. So, I mean, you can just tell by the way he carries himself that, I think he's going to be a pretty damn good coach at Dayton. I absolutely agree. And he, he told me he off there he wasn't going to sign me on as a, as a potential recruit for this upcoming season, but that's okay. So we're going to get right back to the Coach Grant interview, and here we are, Coach Grant, part two. Seems like you guys have a great rapport, as he also hired you on to his assistant coaching staff for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I wanted to kind of ask the question, what was that transition like going from collegiate uh, basketball going to the professional level? And are you going to take some of those lessons you got at the pro level back to you, uh, back to Dayton with you? Yeah, I think it's a part of who I am, you know, just my journey. Uh, so, so certainly I try to learn from every experience I go through. And it was a great experience for two years, uh, having a chance to be a part of uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, the organization's a first-class organization. Uh, Sam Presti, the GM, and everybody associated with the program uh, or with the organization is, is uh, uh, high-caliber people uh, that are great at, at, at what they do. Uh, so, so certainly, you know, from an organizational standpoint, to try to take uh, take away some things, and then, you know, in terms of basketball, the NBA game is a, is a different game than college, but there'll be some things that that we'll try to to, to apply. You know, in terms of uh, what we do here, uh, uh, but uh, you know, I think that the thing you have to always focus on is uh, you have to coach the team that you have. So as we learn our guys and and uh, learn what what we're capable of, you know, we'll try to implement a system that allows us to have uh, success right where we are. 
Absolutely. And don't feel the pressure to have to answer this question, but we just thought it'd be a little fun. So are you a Kevin Durant guy or a Russell Westbrook? And if you don't want to answer that, just kind of tell us what it's like to work with two phenomenal superstars like themselves. Yeah, well, personally, I don't think it has to be either or. Okay. They're two great individuals, great human beings, and obviously outstanding basketball players. Uh, it was an absolute joy uh, just to be around them. Uh, their professionalism, their work ethic, uh, their passion for the game, uh, those are two two guys that are, are great examples of uh, you know what uh, hard work and talent and uh, you know just uh, a passion for what you do uh, is really all about and what it can do for you and how it can elevate other people around you you know and uh, so uh, it was a great great uh, uh, experience uh, for the last two years uh, to be in that type of company. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been really awesome seeing what Kevin Durant's been able to do um, in the NBA Finals so far. But, Coach, going back to Dayton, um, the stretch that they've been on the past few years has only really occurred a few times during the course of the team's history. And having been to the Elite Eight yourself, um, what was it like for you watching the 2013 team when they made their big tournament run? Yeah, really proud of them. You know, I had a chance to, to, to catch a, a couple of those games uh, and uh, – you know, you just just see the, the the thing that stood out to me was just the, the not only what they did on the court, mm-hmm. but just the passion uh, from the fan base, the pride from the fan base. Uh, uh, you know, that's special. That reminded me of you know the, the run that we had back in '84, and uh, knowing what it was like here in, in Dayton and seeing the images on TV certainly brought back great memories. And uh, uh, like I said, I think Archie and his staff did an outstanding job over the course of, of, uh, of their time here in terms of, uh, you know, what they did for the program in this community. So, you know, my hope is that we can continue to, to bring some, some great memories and some great experiences here uh, to the Flyer faithful in our community and this team. Absolutely. Now, I'm super excited to ask you about this, and it can be on basketball topic or stray a little bit, but I'm a recent graduate, and I'm super excited to ask you about your time at the University of Dayton. It said you lived on three Evanston while you were attending school. I know you were a student athlete, so sports obviously came first, but can you give us a little rundown of what it was like to be a Dayton Flyer and what it was like to be part of that community? Yeah, I mean, it was an awesome experience. My, my, I lived in Founders my freshman year, and the next three years I was at 1302 Brown, which I believe is now a sorority house. So, <laughs> so how long ago I was here, but it's still the same house. Uh, yeah, I, I had a great experience, a great four years here, uh, some great, uh, great teammates, some great friends, uh, great experiences on the court. Uh, we talked about the Elite Eight run, but, you know, even, you know, uh, the next year going to the going to the tournament and uh, just uh, the coaches I played for uh, great guys Dan Hipsher the assistant that recruited me to Dayton actually gave me my first coaching job in college at Stetson University and then also worked uh, with me at Alabama so uh, just the relationships never end coach Donahue and I have maintained uh, contact over the years and uh, what an outstanding honor uh, to to take over a program that, that obviously he spearheaded for 25 years and really enjoyed playing for him. And, and uh, so to have him in the community and a resource for me now is, 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 is awesome. Uh, so my, my experience here was, was terrific. And, you know, to uh, have this opportunity 30-whatever-plus uh, years later, uh, you know, to come back as the head coach is I'm humbled and honored and can't wait to, uh, uh, to get started leading the program. 
Absolutely. And you sound like such a genuine person. So I'm so excited that the Dayton community is going to be able to have you in their presence. And I wanted to ask a quick question off of college basketball and kind of getting your taste on the NBA finals, since that seems to be the biggest thing going on right now. Are you rooting for either team or are you just kind of enjoying the style of play? Yeah, I'm just enjoying basketball, you know, just watching it. I think it's, uh, you know, these two two teams, you know, appear to have been on a collision course all year, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I think uh, you look at the, the way the games are being played. I, 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 my staff and I were together for game one, and I told them after game one, I couldn't wait to see the adjustments that were going to be made for game two uh, on both parts, by Cleveland and by Golden State. And, I think we saw plenty of them. You know, the first half was was uh, uh, back and forth and, you know, just exciting brand of basketball. Obviously, the second half, Golden State uh, somewhat overwhelmed uh, Cleveland with their ability to score the ball. I think 130-something points were scored in the game by them. So it'll be great to see in Game 3, you know, what adjustments Cleveland makes and how, uh, how guys respond uh, to what they've discovered about the series and about themselves over the course of the first two games. So... Uh, you know, it's it's great basketball. Uh, two two highly highly competitive teams. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the series plays out. Yeah, and coach, uh, do you think the Cavs have any shot um, to take the Warriors down in this series? Uh, there's always a chance. That's why they play the games, right? Yes. You never you never know what's going to happen. And I think last year probably showed you. I think that if I'm not mistaken, it was 2-0, and uh, you know, th- certain things happened. Uh, uh, and the series uh, series change, so you never know. You know, you never know what what uh, what breaks the game uh, has uh, has in front of it. So you play it all the way through. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Coach Grant. We really, really appreciate it. And like I said, it was a very genuine conversation. We were happy to have you on the show. Um, any last things you would want to say to the uh, Flyer faithful? I'm just excited. Uh, appreciate uh, all the support. Uh, that uh, I've received and our team's received and looking forward to uh, getting started and uh, the start of the season coming up. Absolutely. Well, best of luck to your season ahead of you. I'm hoping for great things, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again in the future. And, again, go Flyers. Go Flyers. Ethan, Sander, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. Take care, guys. Take care. And that was our interview with Anthony Grant. Thank you so much, Coach Grant, for coming on the show this week. And Xander, I know your basketball team was only D3, <laughs> but do you now have a new favorite D1 team? I, I might. I mean, Anthony Grant, that was an awesome an awesome interview. He's a great guy. Definitely seemed like the program's in good hands. So much experience. I mean, the Thunder, VCU, Alabama. Um, and he went up against it. some of the best. He's yeah, really and good. he seems like a great guy. I mean, very knowledgeable, remembered all these people's names. And from, then remembered our names. Right. Which from is even a more really impressive. long time ago. So I think the program's in good hands. I mean, you could tell that he was ready to get to work. I mean, we're not, we're not even close to the season starting, but he seemed like he was in, in full blast already. So, I mean, great guy. And I, I definitely be going to be out for the Flyers this year, I think. Yeah, and the way he speaks with people is fantastic. And that can only help him with recruiting. And that's something we definitely need. The University of Dayton, Archie did a fantastic job. And we wish him the best of luck at IU. But Anthony Grant is our guy now. I'm forever going to be a Flyer fan, as that is what I what I know best, and I'm very excited for this upcoming season. Hopefully they make it in the AP Top 25. But that's all the time we have this segment. Everybody, you know where to find us. We're at LibertyTalk.fm, or we are now on AMFM247.com. You can find us there. We also aired on TV earlier this week, so continue to check out our social media platforms to get more information from us. We will tweet you. We will Facebook message you. Whatever you guys want, we will be there for you on social media. So thank you to all the fans, and keep tuning in, and we'll be back right after the break, everybody. I paid my dues.
back to Sporting Edge, everybody. We're talking baseball in this last segment here, and we had a couple huge things happen in the game this week. We had a no-hitter from Edison Volquez, and we also had a four-home run game from Scooter Jeanette on the Cincinnati Reds. Now, if you watched our TV show this week, we talked a little bit about Scooter Jeanette's historic feat, and the fact that the weird thing about it is there's been less four-home run games than there have been perfect games pitched in the major league, so that kind of gives you a glimpse at how difficult it is to do what Scooter Jeanette did. And the crazy thing about it was he tied his home run total for the season in that one night. He only had four so far. So an unbelievable feat for Scooter Jeanette and Edison Volquez. Congratulations to him. Threw a 98-pitch no-hitter, 10 strikeouts, absolutely dominated the game for the Marlins. Um, and no-hitter, they seem like they've been getting a little more calm in the past few years, but still an unbelievable feat leaving an MLB team hitless for nine innings. It's something that doesn't happen every day, so you definitely got to recognize it. It's a special feat, but let's get back into the swing of things with some MLB power rankings and taking a look at the divisions, Rod. Right now, the Astros are still clear-cut number one team, but they are dealing with some injury issues to their starting rotation. Dallas Keuchel, a little bit of a stiff neck, is going to get checked out. And they haven't said whether or not they're going to put him on the DL yet, but he did make a little 10-day DL stint earlier this year. Looks like he could be heading for another one with no timetable. Um, Colin McHugh has not thrown an inning this year and looks like he could be out to the All-Star break. Their best pitcher really right now that's active is Lance McCullers, and he's very good, but this Houston Astros team has built themselves a huge lead in the AL West, but... Will it be enough with this starting rotation trouble, Lee? Well, let's give you some breaking news here, Wits, as Dallas Keuchel has been placed on the DL. It's going to be the 10-day DL. Okay. And what concerns me about this is the Astros definitely need Keuchel, especially at the rate he's going 9-0 with the best ERA in Major League Baseball. But this pinched nerve is the second time it's occurred this year. And this is what started off his season on the DL and what he was missing some time for. So something that is repetitive can worry a team. That has led to, I know this isn't as severe as some other injuries we've seen players have in the years past, but has led to the shutdown of players earlier in the season than anticipated. So we're hoping that this pinched nerve, they figure it out. The doctors who are examining him today will give us good information, knowing where they're going to go forward, because they need this guy in order to make the run that it looks like they're inevitably going to make at the end of the season. This Astros team, not only is their pitching so sufficient, it's their offense that there's really not a place in the lineup you feel comfortable pitching to currently. And I did tell you guys they were my World Series pick earlier in the year, so I'm going to stick with that. The pitching non-woes, but the pitching injuries are a little bit concerning right now, but we have plenty of time left in the season. We are not yet at the All-Star break, and the All-Star break probably will be a good opportunity for them to get healthy, and the Astros are going to continue to push forward. Yeah, and you know it's crazy that at this point in the season, like 60 games in, they have a 13-game lead over the Angels and the Mariners, and a 15-game lead over the um, the Rangers, and 16 over Oakland. So it's really not a time to worry yet, but down the stretch, if they can't get healthy, um, this is going to be a major issue in the playoffs. And like you said, uh, second time that this pinch nerve has come up this year for Dallas Keuchel, and it, it's, it sucks because he's, he's pitching at such a high level, the level that we saw, or even better than the one that we saw a couple years ago. But another pitcher who is 
healthy now, but got absolutely shelled the other night. David Price for the Boston Red Sox, who I said could be a little bit of a turning point in their season. He got spanked by the Yankees um, two nights in a row. Rick Porcello and David Price did not get the job done versus New York. And now they have a, I wouldn't say commanding, but a decent three-game lead in the AL East in front of Boston and Baltimore. Tampa Bay is five and a half back, and the Blue Jays were hanging in there 29-31 or six and a half back. Um, but David Price was absolutely terrible in his second start back. He, yeah, and again, it's early. He's getting back into the rhythm. I mean, his last outings were terrible because it was in the postseason. So these first two starts, it's totally understandable. They're working back to it. But what I think is more important to examine is the New York Yankees, and they're going to give fits to their division the entire way through. The East will not have a fun time going up against this Yankees team, and they are all right. Sanchez is hot. He is back on track after his injury, hitting two home runs again in, uh, in the game against Price. So this Yankees team, very scary, and really one that's going to contend with this Astros team. I think it makes it really interesting because they are Cubs-esque, and I know it sounds like a broken record because we're saying that every week, but they're just unbelievable, and they're not showing us any signs of slowing up because of their age or because they're a new team. And I think they do have leaders on this team. CC Sabathia was terrific once again. Right. And if he can be good, there's a talk that, you know what, Tanaka can find his way and be good again. So if their pitching really comes into play and they're successful, this Yankees team is beyond dangerous, and it would make for one heck of a postseason matchup between the Astros and the Yankees. Yeah, and Brett Gardner, who we brought up last week at 33 years old, um, since May 1st is slugging 633. That's the third best rank in the majors. You know, he's homering every 12 at-bats in that span, which is better than any other Yankee. I mean, you want to throw in Sanchez and Judge. Um, so he's really been turning it up. I love the combination of the young talent. When you look at this Yankees team, you know, guys like Gary Sanchez, guys like Aaron Judge. Um, and then you look at you know, some of the veterans like CeCe, Brett Gardner, Jacoby Ellsbury. And Even Starlin Castro you got to consider. He, this Starlin year. Castro, yes. He, he's been having a very, I want to say damn, a very good year for the Yankees. A um, lot of hits. And, you know, another guy, like you said, Tanaka, if he can put it together, he has been a very good pitcher when he's been healthy in this league. But the problem is he's been hurt all the time. I mean, it seemed like every year something comes up and it usually stems from a bad start. He gets rocked. Uh, and that's kind of what's been going on the past couple years. So if he can get healthy, um, this rotation along with Luis Severino, who you know was awful last year and, and has really turned it around this year, this Yankee team is very scary. And that's, where, that's why I'm excited for the rest of this year because I think the Boston Red Sox aren't going anywhere. I know that they had a rough series versus the Yankees, but they are a team who I think will definitely hang around. But... One of the, I think the most exciting team in the league for me this year personally is the Colorado Rockies. Starting pitching, you know, remaining the key cog to this team. We saw it the other night. Tyler Chatwood, Tyler Anderson, John Gray is finally coming back. Along with, you know, the rookies that we talked about last week who have started almost 50% of their games. They're they are a fun team to watch. And their lineup, Charlie Blackman, Arenado, LeMayhew, Cargo. I mean, it just doesn't end for that team, and they are they're going to be a special team, I think, in the postseason. I think the whole NL West is going to be has the potential to be a special team in the postseason, and with MVP talks obviously sparking up here and there, Paul Goldschmidt is now back in the mix for an MVP talk, and I think that Diamondbacks team is intriguing. And I told you I want them to kind of topple off a little bit because I would love the prospect of Grinky being traded to the Cubs, but I don't believe that's going to be happening anytime soon. But I think this Diamondbacks team is super dangerous in terms of their hitting. Jake Lamb leading the league in RBIs. 
the NL West just comes to play. Whenever they're, no matter who the opponent is, they're going to score runs on you. Los Angeles Dodgers are always going to be there. I think Corey Seager and company, and obviously I don't know why I put Corey Seager at the front load, but Clayton Kershaw has just been stellar. And it's and interesting. You know who else has been stellar for them? Kenley Jansen has not walked a single batter a single this batter. year. Striking out 47% of all the batters he's faced. I mean, it seems like the, the two constants on that team year after year are Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen. No, absolutely. And what I was going to get to the point was, interesting, we talk about LeBron being one of the greatest of all time. When do we talk about Clayton Kershaw as potentially being the greatest pitcher of all time? When he gets it done in the postseason, I think. Um, is Are rings more important in the NBA or in the MLB, or is it just a worldwide thing where you need to win championships in sports? Well, I think it's an interesting argument because I think basketball is a different game. You know, you've got one play, you have five players on the court for your team as opposed to baseball. You start once every four or five days. So definitely not as important, but, you know, the postseason success would be nice for Kershaw and could definitely elevate his status among the greats. And I, I completely agree with you. And like you said, pitchers is a little harder to dictate, although unless you're Madison Bumgarner who came out and pitched one of the greatest postseasons, I believe, of all time. Kershaw, if he were to put that out there, I don't think there's much of an argument to be had. I mean, there's tons of fantastic pitchers that have been through the longest sport in the United States. So that's all the time we have this week, everybody. I hope you like the interview. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Check us out on television at am247.com. You can find us on Roku and other internet services. Also, check us out on Facebook so we can communicate with you, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. We enjoy you guys being our fans. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back next week. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. LibertyTalk.fm